Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. So we are in the book of uh, Ephesians, written to the church in Ephesus, and we're doing the first part now, and we'll get to the second part um, later, after Easter. So Paul is writing to encourage this early church living out the way of Jesus, and they, like us, are in this urban hub. Uh, Ephesus was uh, a, a center of culture and art, uh, education, uh, entertainment, uh, political importance, and a trade hub. So people would pass through often. And so um, there was a lot going on in this, this urban hub. And in the first part of this letter, Paul is writing to that church in what we are calling, uh, the, the series we're calling Rooted and Established. So all of our names for this are right out of the words that, that Paul is saying. And we'll get to that part later. But what we're seeing in this whole first part is the Apostle Paul writing to this early church, making sure that they know who they are and where they fit in God's plan. It's an identity fire hose, but not just about who you are, but it's who we are to God. Not just about them or us now as believers today. It's all rooted in who God is and what God has done through Christ and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so where we are now, relationally and positionally, the language he uses all over the place, remember we said like how your little pink flags should go up, um, in Christ, that's a position of where we are. It's not a static position, it's one of movement, of engagement, of joining in to this triune plan, power, and purposes that he's talking about in the whole first part. Now part two, chapters four through six, we're gonna pause for Lent and uh, then return to after Easter. And it's going to build out how to live in light of this in unity as the church, the body of Christ. But it's important that we really sit in this passage first because all that he talks about later is rooted and established by the foundational truths that he spells out in part one. He makes sure to start us from here. So week one, we entitled Grace and Peace, which really was just an introduction to the whole thing because as in all of Paul's letters, he says and spreads grace and peace to the congregation. And we just wanted to use that first week, if you go back and listen to any of them, about how their situation is not so different than ours. And this is Holy Scripture that we believe the power of the Holy Spirit will teach and admonish and refine and build us up today like they did in Ephesus with these, with these words. So in the next week, we talked about this one epically long sentence. If you were here in the original Greek, verses th 3 through 14, oh, yes, I should know that. Brady's saying yes. Three through 14 are all one sentence. It would be so awkward in our English that they've broken it up, but it was a traditional style of Jewish benediction of praise to God that would have been familiar, but now this outpouring of good news and praise to God is all about these plans and purposes on a cosmic, all of time, all of space level, now being achieved in Christ and sealed by the promise of the Holy Spirit. Best sentence ever. But we also noted that it's the second 
uh, longest. There's one longer that Paul wrote. He's kind of well known for his sentence length. So anyway, but it's an epic sentence. It's amazing. And so that one is unpacking all of the triune plan and purpose for all the cosmos, all of time to the praise of God's glory. That's where he lands. He says that phrase three times, that this plan is bringing, it is our, our worshipful uh, bringing forth of glory to God that we are living in light of God's intentions. So that was where we were last week. And we're gonna see more of that good news language today about God's plans, purposes, and power, and where we are right now in Christ. Again, in Christ. But we want to be able to still take these and not compact them all together, but still break them up and see the movements, not only of Paul's thinking, but of the importance of the impact of these words. Now, sometimes when we come into church and we hear a passage like that, we can kind of hear, <laughs> so I'm very expressive with my words. You guys may have noticed I'm kind of a words person. If you've met my husband, Andy, he's not as much of like the verbal affirmation person. So we have this joke in the house that I'm so quick to be like, oh, okay, bye, I love you, bye, I love you. And he's like, love, love, love. And so sometimes you can sit and listen to a passage like this and kind of hear, I get it, love, love, love. You know, you can just hear all these words and you can not sit in the richness of the morsel of what's actually being spoken here. And so not only is there richness for us to observe, but I want you guys to know, let's not just read too quickly as an introduction to a letter and get to the part of how we should now live, right? Don't go too quickly. The theological impact of what Paul is unpacking here helped to shape early church councils who wrote things like the Nicene and Apostles' Creed that solidified what we mean when we say we're Christ followers. Their knowledge was impacted by the Holy Spirit and by these kind of words. Early church doctrine was built based on some of this Holy Spirit-empowered truth. And so there's really rich stuff here. Paul, Lynn Coick points out, Paul shows how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit shape redemption. It's a big deal, right? How they build and nurture the church, like what our role is in the triune life, and preserve believers and tell the consummation of all things. In other words, in linear time, this is going all the way to the future, the forever future. So it's all encompassed here, you guys. It's so impactful in the foundations of our faith and understanding the fullness of the good news of Jesus. So I wanted to get us along here on the path because each part is building on the foundation for what we're, what we're going to. So we want to keep tracking week to week. Today, we switch in a little bit we land where Paul lands with the phrase everything in every way. We are going to observe Paul's transition from that benediction style outpouring of praise thesis statement and now he shifts into a prayer. But within this prayer, we still do hear that extravagant language. Listen for the abundance. Um, open your Bible app if you want to, if it's easier for you to see it all at once. Um, if you go, we're using the NIV. You can toggle different versions. Use your own version is fine too. Um, and we're in Ephesians 1, verses 15 to 23, if you like to look and see. And I would also note too, I'm going to point out some observations, but make your own. If there's a word that's highlight or stirs to you, like jot it down and spend this week really like sitting with it. It, sitting in this passage again and again. Okay, so um, 
Where was I? Our plan today, that's where I was. Our plan today is really straightforward because I don't want to rush by the richness of this and we wanna enjoy this rich morsel. We are going to just sit here and observe things in this text, observation. So remember in week one, I told you guys, or we talked about the fact that in this first part of the letter, there is some really rich theology. For those of you who are like, I don't care for that. You'll still learn the good stuff. Don't worry. I'm now speaking to the ones who are like, yes, theology. Keep your eye out for an incredibly high Christology in this passage. That's just a fancy way of saying who Christ is, Christ's position as Messiah or anointed one, son of God. Where is Christ positionally and how does that matter to the whole cosmos. It's a very high view of Jesus Christ as Lord. And so it's really good informative stuff that's in here. So just keep your eye out for that if you're into those words. Okay. It also talks about Christ's role, Christ's position, and we are going to observe a lot of that, but also just number two, we're going to just sit under Paul's prayer. I've already said this church in Ephesus isn't so different than us. So I want to sit under this prayer just as the first readers would have just sat under the prayer. So observing is going to be more straightforward. I'll get to the explaining how we're going to sit under it when we get there. So I think I'm going to stop and pray. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Jesus, I thank you that um, your mercies are new every morning that the truth of you and your love and your plans is so um, exponentially more than we could um, fully comprehend this side of heaven that we can just sit and dwell in your word and let it, um, it richly impact us. Uh, even if it's language that we've heard before or things we thought we knew, would you shape us and mold us to truly experience you um, through this prayer and declaration of praise to who you are. We give this all to you. Help refine my words where they get fuzzy or stumbly. Uh, we give it all to you in your name. Amen. Okay, we're going to dive right in. In verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Let's start with observing. First, he starts off for this reason. For what reason? Because of the thesis statement. Remember the one that you can't possibly read because it was way too many words all at once? That sentence that's 3 through 14, because of all of this, truth of God, will purpose the entire message of the good news because of that. That's why, he says, I keep on, uh, I, I now go into prayer for you. So for this reason, because of God, not really because of you. But, so he says that first. He says he's heard two things about them. He's heard about their faith in the Lord Jesus and their love for all the saints, other believers, right? And so what we see here is that the reputation of these believers is such that Paul is hearing, even though at this point he is away from them, he's not with them, but their life in Christ, their devotion to following the way of Jesus because they love Jesus. I've heard about your faith in Jesus, but it also is therefore being outwardly expressed in love, tangible expressions of love towards other people. So this kind of love, 
love, this agape love, is one that we know from other, from other spaces. It characterizes Christ's love for the church, an outward-focused, self-giving posture and attitude, uh, to use Lynn Coick's words. I love that definition. Outward-focused, self-giving posture and attitude that he now hears about. Like, it's so extraordinary that it's, it's gotten a reputation in a very good way, and Paul's been hearing about it. This passage, this little statement, like you have faith in Jesus and love for each other, it reminds me of that moment when somebody challenges Jesus in Matthew 22 to say, well, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Remember, I'm going to do a Pillman paraphrase, and he's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all wrapped up in that. All the law, all the prophets, you got it. If you know you're loving God and it automatically, your heart can't be shaped without an expression that's like, I have to share that outward. And so I think of this church in Ephesus, they've been, they've been living like that, right? It's actually happening. We're following the way of Jesus. Sometimes it's messy, but we have faith that it'll work and it's expressing itself in love. I love that. And Paul has heard about it. And so coming out of this praise statement, I've heard about your faith and love. I'm so thankful for you. This morning up in the prayer room, uh, Catherine just started us out just like with gratitude. Just, just say our thanks to God for a while. And we did that. He's so thankful. Paul's thankful. And I've been holding you in prayer. So we know that he has observed things. He is grateful for them. And he shares that gratitude with God. And then he's been holding them in prayer. And he's about to tell us what his prayers have been for to this church, this body of believers. He specifically has been praying. We call that intercession, which just means like, you know, when you're praying specifically for something for someone, not just thanks for them, but maybe for their healing or for their benefit or for that new job or that struggle. That's called an intercession. And his prayer requests, we're going to observe this too. Too. The ones that he's interceding for, they have specific purposes that he names. So um, I know that it ends up being a long screen. We'll break it up. But let's start with this. I just noticed this right away as somebody who's just always wanting to learn myself as I'm reading. I felt encouragement that the Apostle Paul says, I keep asking. Because sometimes I can feel like if I have to keep on asking, maybe I'm doing something wrong or something. But even the Apostle Paul, he's not giving up and persevering. He knows that it's like, let's keep asking. Let's keep pursuing the things of God, of growth. Even an Apostle needs persistence in prayer. And so I just take that as a moment to share with you that I took that as an encouragement for my own endurance and intercession. Let me just remember, if Paul had to keep on praying, I can do it too. That was just me not projecting, just being honest. So I noticed that and wanted to share that. His heart is being formed also in the, towards this community as he's holding them and they're thriving in prayer. You know, you can't hold someone's flourishing and thriving in prayer without your heart being knit more and more towards their development and growth. It's a beautiful system. It's a beautiful thing, this mystery of prayer. So let's look at the actual prayer. We see that he has two main asks. He asks that the Father will give you, so he asks for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the eyes of their heart may be enlightened. Those are the two main asks. So the 
thing that I would say to you that we both see in these, that both of the main asks are followed with a purpose. Do you see that? So I want you to get the spirit of wisdom and revelation, not so that you know theological terms and can talk like that. No, no, no. So that you may know him better. I pray the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that, and we'll get to what that one is because it was just too long for one screen. So we've got two main asks, but what I want you to point out is that both have a purpose. I want this for you so that you may know like know something more than head knowledge, relational depth, tapping into the fullness of all the praise he's just given for God's cosmic action. So yes, wisdom, but not just in the head, revelation of God's true nature. And I feel this non-just head thing when he says the eyes of your heart enlightened. You kind of feel that language saying like that, that your heart would ignite. That might be the way that I would say it. So it's not just a knowledge of the stuff that we're reading here so that I can also know a high Christology. It's not that. It's that your heart would be ignited with the truth that he's pouring onto these pages. And you guys know that sometimes my brain goes to silly analogies, but whatever, that's my brain, and that's what we've got for the morning. So sometimes two of the ones that I thought of today or yesterday when I was thinking about, like, what, what's that difference from, like, head to heart? And I was thinking about... Um, all right, we adopted a puppy from a shelter. Don't go to a shelter unless you know you're going to be taking a puppy home. But you know how you know puppies are cute, but then you hold one and his little puppy breath like bites your nose and kisses your face and then he snuggles up and falls asleep on your lap and you're like, you're never not going to be allowed to live on my lap even when you're 85 pounds. You know, like that, that's like the knowledge that moves to like, oh, puddle, right? Or like, you know that humans through COVID, we knew this, like we're in trouble. We need physical contact. Hugs are good for humans. And you know that. Then you know when you get that like embrace, like the bear hug from a beloved friend just when you need it. And you're like, head knowledge, whatever. Like I just know something more than I could ever articulate right now. That's what Paul is praying for. He's praying for us to get to that, like puppy lick, bear hug, knowledge. That's the piece that he's trying to get at. So the above and beyond that he gets into in this second request, we're just going to, we're going to get to the next one on this. So, um, so remember that first one was just shorter. So I, could, I want you to have wisdom and revelation so that you may know God better and that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened in order that you could know three things. And again, we're not going for head knowledge. Don't worry about the list so much as the all-encompassing like Wow, make your knees buckle knowledge of your eyes, of your heart. That you would know the hope to which he has called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And his incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Did you guys hear the abundance of that language? And like the so far outside of what we deserve. Like an inheritance isn't something you did anything for, right? We talked about sonship and adoption one or two weeks ago. And so like all of this is like, look, look at the hope. Look at the inheritance. Look at the incomparably great power. I want that in your heart. And so 
it's then, this is the moment where that's the prayer. And like, I want that prayer. I want to sit under that prayer and receive it for sure. But then he takes this moment, look at the crescendo, the, like the emotional bigness of what's going on. And he launches right back in to that same elaborate power that, and he, and he goes on to that. So this third one, the third ask in the second part says that you'd know this incomparably great power. Oh my gosh, now I need to keep talking about it because I'm so lit up excited about it and so and then he goes on from there and he said this incomparably great power for those who believe that power that one that like is a mystery and I don't even have words for you know that power it's the same mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at the right hand of the father in the heavenly realms I'm adding I'm getting too excited I'm sorry I'm adding to scripture don't do that okay he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that is invoked not only in the present age but in the age to come okay so remember the other day when we were talking about like and all of space and all of time like this is that language again and this is the power that God has invoked and that we get to not just know about but participate in because guess where we are in Christ and that's the excitement that Paul is trying to communicate here so Paul's prayer All of his prayer for us that he gives here, not only the thanks, but the intercession, it rests on the underlying narrative of God's redemption from that big thesis sentence, remember? All of it rests on what God has done. And we've observed that he then goes from there to prayer, prayer with a purpose, and it's all based on power. And I did not mean for those to all three start with P, but say it again, it goes from prayer to prayer with purpose, all rooted in the power of God, the same power that rose Christ from the grave. And he wants us to just know that, know that hope, know that inheritance, and know that kind of power in our heart beyond our mind. This is an experiential understanding of God's great power. That's what this prayer is getting at, that it wouldn't just sit in your head, but that it would it would be the, like the puppy breath and the bear hug. Like it would just move to your experience that you could know this power, the experiential understanding of this great power. You have access to such understanding because of Christ's work and exaltation above all things. There's that absolute language again. And then in the last two verses of this passage, we see again, he's reminding us who we are as the church. You can know this through the Spirit's working, for we are in Christ. We are Christ's body, the church. Did I put 22 and 20? Oh, good. All things under his feet, appointed him head over everything for, it's back to us, for the church. That's why all this has happened, which is his body, the fullness of Christ who fills every single thing in every single way. And so I want us to just observe that absoluteness, that everything, every name, every way, it's abundance, it's language of completeness, all-encompassing truth of Christ. I also want to point out here, because it's going to happen in other places throughout this this letter to the Ephesians, but just to to point out to you as we're observing a theme of fullness in uh, 110 last week in that thesis statement, it was the fullness of time that was stressed. Today, it's the fullness of the one who is filled with all things, like it's a double fullness theme today. Uh, Later on, uh, there'll be 
praying that, uh, that we will be filled with the fullness of God in 319. Later, we'll be encouraged to attain the fullness of Christ in 413 and to be filled with the Holy Spirit 518. You don't have to remember all that. The point is, we have a letter theme of abundance, fullness, completeness, absoluteness, all rooted in the Christology of him who fills everything in every way. All of this. Okay, so there was the arc of observation. Prayer with purpose, power of God. And I would say this too. Uh, We notice that Paul is using language from Old Testament scriptures. Specifically, we hear some language of like Psalms 110 and 8 to refer to this power, but now with Christ as the center. And the fact that he's saying now that Christ would be seated at the right hand of the Father. And while that's not a cultural thing for us, this gives us a whisper of that moment. Do you remember it in Matthew 20 when the sons of Zebedee, James and John were following, James and John request to Jesus, we would love if we could ask you something. And he was like, okay, what is it you want? And they were like, we want to sit with you on the left and right hand in your coming kingdom. And he's like, you have no idea what you're asking for because he knew their hearts and what they were thinking was that they wanted to share Jesus's power and glory but not his cross and the fact is that we are here in a point where we know that Jesus has been exalted and sits in that place of honor and glory because of the suffering and endurance of the cross that was given and so we can't separate those two and we know where Jesus's position is is one where suffering is the only thing that could have broken through and given such a power as this fullness of God's plan. That's where Christ is sitting, a position of honor based on his great work, including his suffering. And where are we? I'm sneaking ahead to next week, but we're seated with him. It says so in verse chapter two, verse six, six God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Past tense. That's not like someday heaven talk. It's like we positionally are in Christ in the life of the triune God and that means we are seated with Christ at the right hand of God because of what Christ has done. We are currently positioned as seated with him. And so here's where we switch from observing the text to just um, sitting under this prayer for a minute. The thing that strikes me as I look at this prayer and that I want to offer up to you, this prayer for the church in Ephesus, believers following the way of Jesus still for us today, is that we would sit under this prayer, that we would know God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in an experiential way. This hope, this power, this inheritance would move to like a tangible experience. Our lived lives would be impacted by all of this, God's plans and power and purposes. Our position would be actively in Christ at the right hand of the Father, but Sometimes I think our experiences of God can feel a little like subjective. Like, did I just experience that? I don't know how to measure that or quantify it. Sometimes our experiences can feel elusive. I think that that's not quite how other people experience things. Or it can just feel disappointing. I just like want to say that, honestly. Sometimes our experiences can feel disappointing. We want our experience to feel a certain way or yield a desired outcome. That's not bad. I get that. Maybe there's something here, as I was thinking about it this last week. This is like not from books. This is just from observ- or like just sitting in this for a while, right? Maybe there's a cultural expectation here. 
right? Our world talks about design experiences, how you're going to engage with things. And they have people who design your experience. Or uh, I've been seeing those posters for the immersive experiences of art shows to up how we experience the masters or whatever. Like our world is showing us, like I will feed you experiences. You should seek after an experience here. So maybe there's a cultural expectation that's just a little different that we think it's supposed to evoke something. I don't know. I can't prove that. I just know our culture's emphasis on experience and how it's constantly pushing experiences on us. And so what I think maybe what's happened is there is such a constant input of information. I honestly believe our senses have been numbed a bit. Or maybe they haven't been numbed. You know, like the adrenaline junkies? I don't even mean that in a negative way. Like people who are addicted to adrenaline and they like have to keep jumping out of planes higher in the air and stuff. Because like you get this point of adrenaline and then that feels normal and you need more. Uh, Maybe it's like that with this like onslaught. Our bar is just off on what we think an experience is supposed to be like. I don't know. I was just sitting with this thinking like, what's, what's, what's wrong? Are, are we hyperactivated? And so we just don't know what this elusive prayer would even mean in real life. I'm not sure. So anyhow, all those not helpful thoughts this week, I was sitting with them and I was just thinking through this passage and the gloriousness of what's being said and how our experience sometimes doesn't feel to match it. And by good timing, I suppose, God's timing, I'll chalk it up to. So bam, the pastor of our Monsieur de Congregation in Humboldt Park recommended this little gem to me, to us. Um, This is a gentleman, Watchman Nee, is a uh, a missionary and pastor in China from like before, uh, you know, the 1900s, whatever. Um, He was one of the really, really influential indigenous pastors, indigenous missionary, meaning he was from there. So when the foreign missionaries had to go, He's, he worked on just an incredible indigenous church movement of house groups and stuff. It's a big heart for discipleship. So this little gem is his observation of how the entire arc of the book of Ephesus goes in order. That first we would sit, it's called, sit walk, stand. And if you know the book of Ephesus, I'm sure I'll bring them up more because it's really good. First we sit. Where do we sit? along with Christ, because we are in Christ at the right hand of the Father, and we just take in these truths. Before now, it's going to be time to walk in the way that we're going to get to, starting in chapters 4, in the way of unity, and then stand, uh, chapter 6, right? To stand firm then in the powers and authorities and all that. So his observation is that this is the plan of discipleship. Sit, walk, stand. And I love that observation because as I was reading what he was saying, I think sometimes this is the piece that can be hard for us um, in the concept of receiving and just sitting still. Because what he points out is this is really talking about doing absolutely nothing on our own. He says, uh, the Ephesians, thus Ephesians opens up with statement, what God has done. I'm going to paraphrase a little. We're invited the very outset to sit and enjoy what God has done with us, not to set up to try to attain anything, um, any of it for ourselves. We are saved by reposing, great old word, reposing in the Lord Jesus. He goes on and says, sitting is an attitude of rest. Something's been finished. Work stops and we sit. It's paradoxical, but true, that we only advance in the Christian life as we first learn of all to 
sit down. So also in the spiritual realm, to sit down is simply to rest our whole weight, our load, ourselves, our future, everything upon the Lord. We let him bear the responsibilities and cease to carry it ourselves. And I think that that is what Paul is getting at here. He's like, I can't go on and talk about living this out, which we all have to do, lived experiences, right? We're going to have to live it out without making sure that you know that you did nothing except say yes and amen to what God has already tried to do. You just said, yeah, oh, that's for your glory and purpose. I want that too. And to be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms now, to be seated. As the son sits with the father, so now we sit. I think Paul needs us to just, he's a piling on this rich morsel so we could just sit there and have no action of our own yet but to receive this and here's the piece that I extra loved when I was reading this I as uh, Sam mentioned I also have been reading AJ Swoboda's um, subversive Sabbath as my own Sabbath development if anyone wants to read along I'd love to chat I'll buy coffee. Um, but I'm just, for my own development during my Sabbath, I'm reading this. And so I'm, I have both of these, right, on my bookshelf in my work bag. And I love this because I hadn't linked the two, but what Watchman Nee says is he links this to God's very design. Yes, Paul has Ephesians going like this, but look at God's very creation design. The first day that Adam and Eve are created, what do they do before they toil, before they name the animals and start working the earth for everything and all of that? What do they do? They enter into the seventh day of creation, which was creative Sabbath rest. They start not in striving, but in resting. And I think that the fact that Watchman Nee brings up the link to our created order starting out of rest and why the importance of Sabbath rhythms there are so formative to us made me think, oh my gosh, we're talking about Sabbath a lot. That's really cool. I hadn't even linked them. When I made my outline for this, Sabbath was not on today's radar. It was just to sit under this prayer. But then as I sat there, I was reading what A.J. Swoboda was saying, and he said it very specifically. I don't think our culture has a problem with loving God, loving God. isn't the issue we've just forgotten how to sit with him and I think there's something to that and so I think for this first part in order for us to accept the experience that Paul is trying to pray over us then we need to be willing to say what does it take to have my experience be one where I choose to rest in this truth so we're going to reflect on that a little bit, but here's, here's what I just want to encourage you guys with today. Our culture doesn't really, uh, our world, the messages coming from the push notifications on your iPhone is hook, line, and bait for experience. What you should be experienced, what you missed out on that experience because you weren't going to that experience and you should go to this one and wouldn't it be great to go to Tampa Bay or whatever. It's like constant experiences. There's so many things that we should be doing or that we're going after or we're being told to go after that the counter brain idea of sitting and receiving a gift like this and sitting in the truth like this and letting it shape our experience of who we are in Christ feels indulgent. Do you guys ever feel bad when you sit still? Or is that just me confessing something weird? When I practice Sabbath, sometimes I feel like, like the blues, like something's weird. And I have to fight into that and say like, no, this is what's sitting outside of my own doing or outside of anybody else feeding me joy experiences is like. 
And I push through and I find in silence and stillness that I can know something deeper that I could only know as deep cries out to deep. And I can't know when the noise of the world is pinging me constantly. And so my prayer for us is that we would take seriously this call to sit at the right hand of the Father and actually absorb these rich morsels and um, let them shape us and be people who actually take seriously the call that in stillness and rest we will find our, our very souls again. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.